a document that allows them to tap his home phone and he waives all of his constitutional rights. And he doesn't know anything about this job at not all. Yet. I mean, he's not, probably get, not even how much it pays or anything. That's a good point, right? I'd be like, I'm happy to sign away my constitutional rights, but like, do you have dental? Right. Like, what? <laughs> History, I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to Hello, and welcome back to HILF. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. Come on and cuddle up with me in the den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To hear other great podcasts in the den, follow the link in the show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Today, Area 51. (laughs) A top secret U.S. military base that no one is supposed to know about but everyone has heard of. (laughs) Like heard of, yes, a lot of us have heard plenty, but what we know about Area 51 is practically nothing, right? Something about new airplanes, aliens, faking the moon landing. I mean, what are they doing out there? (laughs) Now, even though you could see it on a satellite map for years, the CIA didn't even admit Area 51 existed until 2013. That's when they finally declassified some of their records. There's still a lot about Area 51 history we don't know, but there's a hell of a lot we do, and baby, ooh, it is real fuckable. (laughs) I'm joined in this top-secret intrigue by actress and craftress Lainey Pejos, who is special for a number of reasons. Among them, she is my first remote guest. (laughs) We recorded this conversation while over 2,000 miles away from each other, which, for any other time but the present, would sound like a science fiction future. (laughs) Hot, right? Let's get started. This looks good. And we sound good. I'm not going to lie. I'm super stoked about this because like being able to record remotely just like opens a whole, a whole deal for me. It means I can talk to people wherever, whenever. Not that I don't love having them in my house, but it does mean that I have to vacuum. (laughs) which can be a bit of a bummer. Um, I am just so delighted that you're here. I was trying to do the math. I think we met in 2015. Does that sound right to you? That does sound right. At Universal. Yeah, the entertainment capital I... of LA. <laughs> we were wearing khaki sure shorts. <laughs> and, and, and blue button downs. Ugh. Looking super attractive. <laughs> and yet people dated. I can't believe how many people found love. Among the studio tour, I mean, everyone is wearing these god-awful things. But you are no longer in Los Angeles. Um, You are now in Atlanta. That's why we are recording remotely, because you left our palm trees. And you are now, what is is it, peaches? (laughs) Um, What's in Georgia? I think it's technically peanuts and peaches, yes. Peaches, we're the peach state. (laughs) You are an actress. You do film and television, and that's part of what brought you, because Atlanta has a fantastic film and television production scene. But I'm looking at your credits, girl. You do a lot of theater, too. (laughs) And I was looking through your theater credits, and I was like, hang on a second. Pinkalicious, the musical? This was relevant. (laughs) 
Lainey, this is relevant to me and my household. We are huge Pinkalicious fans. Oh my god! And for those of you who don't have five-year-old children or so, you may not be familiar with like what a bomb-ass bitch this Pinkalicious is. I was te- I was I was suspicious of Pinkalicious, <laughs> which is fun to say because you know pink I'm not you may you for people who don't know me but you can probably guess I'm not exactly like a Pinkalicious whatever that means yeah me kind neither of, I was yeah. I was imagining sort of sweet and girly and whatever and she is a little bit of that but she's also sort of a sort of a badass and you played her mom. Um, I was the Wink. understudy for her mom, but I played her tap dancing doctor, Dr. Wink, who diagnoses her with pinkatitis. <laughs> it's a it's a terrifying condition. And tell me, <laughs> what was it like to work with Pinkalicious? I mean, is she as exciting as she seems in her books? Oh, absolutely. Just as spunky, just as feisty. She's a great girl. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear it. Um, what else should we know about you? What else do you do when you're not on stage and on screen? What else are you doing? Oh, so much stuff. I have like a little Etsy shop that I started during the pandemic. And that's like just encompasses all my hobbies. I was basically I do all of this stuff. How can I monetize this while I'm unemployed? Smart. Um, Yeah. So it's like sewing stuff and I have a 3D printer and laser engraver and all that kind of stuff. So um, lots of crafts and stuff. Um, I've got a very large uh, menagerie, a little brood. (laughs) oh cute yeah it keeps it keeps growing I've got two dogs and a chinchilla who just had to get a leg amputated which is so sad (laughs) that's not funny (laughs) I'm not laughing because I don't feel the the pain of a pet that is injured but there's an absurdity to a chinchilla with an amputee uh, was it some sort of like Olympic sport was she particularly athletic what happened to her leg um, it got caught between the bars of her cage. So she's got like a mm. four story condo cage. She's a very spoiled little tin. Mm. Um, but she got her leg caught in one of the bars and then one of the holes that she like jumps through to get to the other layer. She was like fell into that and was dangling sideways <sighs> down it and her leg like just snapped in two. Oh girl, what kind of sound does a chinchilla make when its leg's slowly breaking? Absolutely bad? no sound, which was shocking to me because I, I just saw her dangling. So I went and I fixed that part and I looked at her and I was like, your leg doesn't look right. But she made <laughs> absolutely no sounds like I was insane. I was what like, do, you must be in so much pain. Oh, girl. Oh, no. And then it had to get amputated. My goodness. OK, mm-hmm. so how is she getting around now? She's kind of dragged. Totally fine. Totally fine. They apparently, only need three. Yeah. Apparently, if, if they only need three. Yeah, it's her, her back leg, too. So I thought it would be harder for her. She still like it, but doesn't balance very well. But <laughs> what's her name? Luna. Luna. Is Luna getting a peg leg or something fun? Maybe nah, a little wheel. Her fluff grew over, and you can't even tell anymore. Oh my god! I gotta meet Luna. You guys send me a picture of Luna. We'll put it on our I Instagram will. so people can see she's out there. Okay, so two dogs, a chinchilla. What else do you have? And uh, I just well, I got adopted by a kitten. <laughs> you did oh lucky you (laughs) yeah almost a year ago someone posted on like the next door app that they found this kitten in their warehouse and um I was like okay don't just advertise you have a free kitten there are crazy people out here who are just gonna see that and go do horrible things to this cat so I picked it up with no intention to keep it of course famous last words yeah um I, but actually for a week, she he lived with a neighbor who had like a mama cat who was breastfeeding because he was literally eight ounces. He was the tiniest little thing, like Aww. so much smaller than even the chinchilla. <laughs> I bet they are a cute pair, though. They are. He likes to go on top of her cage and like 
spat at her from the top. It's very You're silly. Like, hey, you only got three <laughs> legs, you weirdo. Probably a bully. Yeah. Probably, you know, right. street bully cat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, no wonder. So you had to leave L.A. You couldn't have had a, a, a house that you could have afforded that could have kept all these animals in, in the 818. Absolutely, especially with the, the yard and stuff, too, was key. I was like, I want a yard for my dogs. That's like life yeah. goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, we miss you and we want you to come back, but. I, I, mean, I will. It sounds like you point. got a good thing going. And I and like I said, this is it's so cool because it does give me a chance to test out my new technology and record remotely. Friends, this whole deal opens up a whole new thing for me. Where are you out in the world? You have now just become a potential guest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um so Lainey, we've talked about our how we met. Our mm-hmm. our shared love of studio backlots <laughs> and and weirdos in L.A. Um, and you assigned me, girl, a hilf for the ages, Area Fifty One. <laughs> yes. It's such it's a deep dive. It's a fascinating topic. Can you tell me why you chose it to be hilfed today? Um, I just like those, like you know weird things like i think <laughs> i gave you a whole list of things honestly and i think like sasquatch was on there nessie was on there and mm-hmm. like obviously there's other life out there i don't necessarily think that uh th- they've come to us yet and actually i i'm not even sure that there's other life like us you know in our galaxy uh-huh. um i'm not i don't know a lot about space i gotta say i know like <laughs> some basics about space but i'm friends with people who know a lot about space <laughs> it's important to have these friends yes yes and uh so yeah but uh, i don't know i think it's narcissistic to not believe in aliens like we're the only ones really <laughs> i i completely agree with you i i am a strong believer in aliens and i don't know what that means i mean i don't know like intelligent life it's like define intelligent life man Right. And also, you know, are we talking like beings like us, like who yeah. have the capabilities and intelligence, it's technology and all of that to create space travel or because like there's different types of life, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it, it is a bizarre question. And, and but it is why art and science always hold hands so well, because these questions about like what is life are often you know, best answered by artists and then like <laughs> let the scientists fill it in later. Right. Um, <laughs> Area 51 is a is a fascinating subject, but it was also a huge surprise for me because Area 51 is it is in itself this like it's a dilemma in itself because it's a top secret base. Right. Mm -hmm. That we know the only thing we really know about it is that we're not supposed to know anything about it. And all we really know about (laughs) it is that whatever happens there is either not being told to us or we're being told a lie or there's just some sort of like soupy mix of like a little bit of truth with a little bit of lies. that just makes it impossible to kind of navigate. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. So this was my my primary source. I'm showing my friend Lanny. It is a book. This look at this fucking thing. girl. Wow. It's a tome. It's called Area 51, an uncensored history of America's top secret military base by Annie Jacobson. Friends, here's what happened, okay? A ton of shit was declassified from Area 51 between like 2011 and 2013. And this gal, Annie Jacobson, talked to over 74 individuals, interviewed personally for this book. Of those... Like 36 of them lived and worked on Area 51. And there is like crazy secrecy. These these like 
cult-like vows that they have to make before they're allowed anywhere near anything. And then even once you are allowed near anything, you have no idea what's happening sort of beyond the purview of your, like, really specific reason for being there. But they waive their constitutional rights. You know what that reminds me about, though? What? Have you seen Severance? No, I'm a It's bad an Apple pop TV culture. Plus. Okay, it's an Apple TV Plus show. It's only one season out, but the premise of it is you like in order to get hired by this company, you get severed, which is like a a type of surgery or whatever where like they implant something in you and once you step into the building, you're like a separate person. Your whole being is severed from your outside life. Whoa. And you know what your job is and you maybe have a small team that you work with, but you literally don't know anything else that's happening in the company or why you're doing what you're doing. Whoa, that sounds like precisely what they were. Certainly, if Area 51 could have done that, there's no doubt they would have done that. (laughs) And they did that sort of bureaucratically, you know what I mean? To the Uh extent that you can do it in sort of the 50s and 60s. So a lot of the folks that talk to Annie Jacobson are sort of stoked because all of this shit was declassified. And they had pursued like, is it okay for me to talk about this stuff? And it was like, yeah, I think it is actually okay for you to talk. So they have been kind of waiting to spill yeah. these beans, some of them for over <laughs> 50 years, and grill these beans. Ooh, the beans that they spill. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I also listen to some great podcasts. Um, one in particular is called Mysteries Decoded, and then um, Tech Things, which is sort of an offshoot of like things you should know. It's so fun. They'll all be linked in my... Um, in the description of this podcast, if you want to listen to them and like go on a deeper dive. But before my friend Lainey, before I get into like how they built Area 51 and where it all started, I really, really want to start this history with a story. Because one of the most overwhelming things about the history of Area 51 is the fucking stories. <laughs> the story starts in 1989. This guy, Bob Lazar, appears on local Las Vegas television with host George Knapp. And he's, uh, to picture this guy, you kind of got to picture like Jeffrey Dahmer. (laughs) He's got the real thick glasses. glasses. And he's kind of blonde and he's got like kind of a mouthful of teeth. But he's also soft-spoken. He doesn't seem like a loony. He's not, you know, twitching or shrieking or whatever. (laughs) And Bob Lazar, this bespeckled, kind of soft-spoken weirdo, calmly tells George Knapp, I work out at this secret base in the middle of the desert called Area 51. I was hired to reverse engineer technology from outer space made by aliens. I have (laughs) seen the bodies of aliens out there. And everyone needs to know and and you know George is like okay so what happened so here's Bob's story he says that seven years before this in the early 1980s he's working at the Los Alamos laboratory and one of the perks of this job is that they get to go sit in on these cool lectures with various interesting people and holy shit one day the lecture speaker guy who's coming in is named Edward Teller and he's like you know, these little nerds, these little like Los Alamos <laughs> engineering dweebs are like, oh, my God, Edward Teller is here. He's in his 70s. He's, he's like the, their rock star. He's absolutely. He's their Bono. He He's the father of the hydrogen bomb. Man, this guy's like <laughs> mm-hmm. a big deal. He's kind of a curmudgeon old cunt, but he still likes to go to these places where people think he's a rock star and give talks, right? 
Bob Lazar goes in kind of early for the lecture, sees Edward Teller, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, right? And he's reading a magazine (laughs) that happens to have a story about one of Bob Lazar's projects on it, some jet car. So Bob's like, "Uh, hi, Uh, that's me you're reading about in there. (laughs) <laughs> and even though Edward Teller has this reputation for being kind of a cunt, he talks to them, they, t- they talk, they're friendly enough that a few years later, when Bob is like on hard times and needs a job, he calls up Edward Teller and he's like, Maybe, hey, do you remember me? Maybe you can help me out. Edward Teller's like, yeah, here's a phone number. Call this phone number. Right? Mm-hmm. So Bob calls a phone number. Somebody answers on the other end. He tells them who they are. They go, yes, come to the Las Vegas airport the specific time, specific date in December, you'll be met there, right? Mm-hmm. He goes to the Intrigue, airport. I love it. Intrigue. It's so great. He's <laughs> met at the airport um, by this guy named Dennis Mariani, and he meets him on the tarmac, and he walks him over to the 747 that has no numbers on it, no letters on it. It's just a white 747 with a red streak down the side. And we now know that this, like, this secret airline that, like, takes people back and forth to Area 51 is called Janet Airlines. All sorts of reasons why it's called Janet Airlines. But if you're ever out there, I don't know, if you're ever out there and you just see a white 747 with a red streak, you can be like, Don Brody, Don Brody prepared me for this moment, right? And then you sneak on and then you And then you sneak on, you get shot in the head, and that's the last thought you get. (laughs) Um, So he gets on his plane, ride right through the deal. He gets... Off the plane, all the shades are pulled, of course. He has no idea where he's mm-hmm. going. The windows are blacked out. He gets off the plane. He gets onto a bus. And the, he and this guy, Dennis. And this bus now is going on this bumpy-ass, you know, dirt road out further into the desert. And eventually they get to a series of hangars that are, like, built into the side of the mountain. And he goes through, quote, intense security screening, which I just have to believe means, you know, butt stuff. They got up in his butt yep. and they probably did all sorts of stuff to make sure that he was <laughs> not a problem. He assigns a document that allows them to tap his home phone and he waives all of his constitutional rights. And he doesn't know anything about this job at all. Not yet. Not, I mean, he's probably not even kid. how much it pays or anything. <laughs> That's a good point, right? I'd be like, I'm happy to sign away my constitutional rights, but like, do you have dental? Like, what? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. It's <laughs> a good point. I don't think I don't think that um, when you're this hard for like top secret technology, I think you're just stoked to be there. You know, yeah, it's like Keanu it. Reeves is showing you around the green room. You're not like, hang on, how much is pay? <laughs> you know. After that, okay, after he signs all this shit and he agrees to everything, he basically works over the course of about a year intermittently, not every day, working on nine different flying saucers. His specific job, he says, is to reverse engineer their electromagnetic propulsion system that we can't figure out. He wants to work all the time. essentially make you travel farther, faster into space? Is that what that is? That's the idea. And that it doesn't have to do with combustion. That it's magnetic... Oh, and that you don't need just fuel, whole... so you can just keep going? Totally. It's. I mean, it, who knows? It's a whole new... That's what we need our buddy Bob to figure right. out, is like, how can you use magnets <laughs> to get this perpetual propulsion? Like, we have some gaps in our understanding, right? <laughs> so Bob's... And Bob wants to be there all the time, girl. He would like to live there. He would like to be there constantly. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he's only there a couple days a week, sometimes not weeks at a time, and he, ah, he wishes he was there more. And then one day they call him, and they're like, okay, Bob, come into work, and he gets on Janet airlines right and he gets out there and he's 
armed guards are like walking to him to his workstation and he looks to the right and sees through a nine by nine window lab techs with white coats and an alien, a little gray, big headed, olive eyed looking dude like we've seen in the deal. Is this why we now have that vision? It certainly contributes to it. It's one of many, right? That's kind of the cumulative effect of their look is like everyone sort of describes a similar creature. And he's like, holy shit. And the guards are like, move on, move on. Right. He's like, holy fuck. (laughs) It is apparently after seeing the alien that he's like, oh, my God. And when he was shown the spacecraft, he was told these are from outer space. These are these are alien aircraft. He's like, holy fuck. And he can't keep it in anymore. It was bound to happen. (laughs) Right. Over time. So he tells three people. He tells his wife, Tracy, he tells his best friend, Gene, he tells his other buddy, John, and he's like, guys, here's what we're going to do. I know exactly where to go in the mountains around Area 51. We're going to hang out there and you're, we're going to watch some fucking flying saucers taken off. Let's wait. Right. <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God. So they go out there and oh, my God. Fuck, yeah, they see these crazy lights with weird propulsion we can't understand. We don't know how it works, and it's crazy in the lights, and it's jaw-dropping, and it's nuts. So, of course, they go back again, right? And the second time they go, <laughs> oh, Jesus, fuck, this is the coolest shit we've ever seen. And the third time they go back, they get arrested. Oh, no. Right? I'm shit. surprised it took three times. Aren't they, like, trailing him? And Thank you. They're not, I mean, you know, I th- who knows, you know, if, how long they were watching, if they were like, okay, third time's a charm, maybe they knew the whole time. But the security guards take them, take everybody's IDs, sheriff, mm-hmm. you know, takes them, and, they're all, and then they're all released. Okay. Oops. And then, but on edge, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Bob gets called in to work. Yay. Right? <laughs> and he goes Uh-oh. to work. And his old pal Dennis meets him on the tarmac and is like, nah, mate. We know all about it. And they call the security guard in who had caught him. And he eyeballs him and is like, yeah, that was the guy that we arrested last night with his pals. And they, you know, fire him, basically. Mm -hmm. But before he leaves, before, well, this is right. Because before he (laughs) leaves, they just go ahead and play for him tapped phone recordings from his house that prove that his wife is having an affair. And then say, bye-bye. So the threat is obvious. Do you know what I mean? All that shit he signed and all that shit he uh-huh. did, like he knows he fucked up. And they're just sort of like, so you're fired. And just a reminder, we know every goddamn thing. We know more about you than you know. Bye-bye. Which yeah. makes a dude paranoid, right? Then he says on his way fly, uh, driving somewhere to the airport, uh, he, they shot out his tire. Did they? Did his tire just blow up? Who knows? Mm. But Bob certainly like... They're after me, which is well, why he goes which makes to sense. the media. And he says, this is why I had to come out, because I just have to tell the world so that if I disappear, at least you kind of know where to look. Maybe it'll shine a light like I, I'm already in trouble and mm-hmm. maybe getting deeper in trouble will ultimately save my life. Now, this news story, when it comes out, is like no big deal at first. It's like. I mean, it does fairly well locally, but it doesn't do the the viral thing. It's 1989. You know what I mean? Right. Then of all places, Japan picks up the story. And Japan, who, by the way, had been nuked, of course, only 35 years prior to this. So maybe they're just a little bit more like, oh, yeah, them fucks be up to something out there. Right? Yeah. They, um, this story goes crazy. And then it goes super crazy and starts are crazy. And this, this lady is why I wanted to start. The, our history 
with this story because one, it is the first time most people like you and I had any inkling that there was even a place called Area 51 and mm-hmm. what went on out there. And to your point earlier, man, aliens are cool, right? <laughs> aliens are really interesting and intergalactic connections and communications are fascinating. Um, and this story lives in the world of like top secret military aero- aeronautics and UFO encounters. It's got, it's got right. it all. And, um, and, and the other reason I wanted to start with it is because unfortunately, I told you that this story surprised me. And it and it and it absolutely dazzled me. By the way, I'm I'm tits deep in this book. I'm I know that I'm really into a subject when I've I'm ready to record the episode and I'm still reading the history. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know. But the aliens in this story, Lainey, are mostly made up. Ah, damn. I know. But also not surprising. But also not surprising. And so I and I am a, a, a like hesitating skeptic. But I, by the end of this, you're like, fuck, most of the best aliens in this goddamn story are fucking faked. And it, yeah. and it can be a bit heartbreaking. So, you know. But at least on. we know we're going in. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. My hope is to at least sort of emotionally prepare you. <laughs> um, so here's my plan. Here's my plan for the hilfing of Area 51. We're going to stick a pin in our buddy Bob Lazar with his gorgeous glasses and his weird teeth in 1989, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back uh, about 35 years before that because Area 51 is officially founded in 1955. That's when your first sort of, uh, you know, shovel of ground is lifted up. We've named it. We have Mm -hmm. a goal out there. But the real, real seed of Area 51, why it was put out there in the desert and what they were even doing out there actually starts with, of all things, made up aliens and the story of Orson Welles' radio play of War of the Worlds on Halloween 1938. Are you familiar with the War of the Worlds radio play? Or do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. Okay, what, what and, g- generally and, and the do the movie you... from the tram tour. <laughs> and the movie and oh and Tom Cruise and the airplane. Yes. Uh, it's actually really funny. There's a huge part of the backlot that is devoted to the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. Um what do you recall from the story of the Orson Welles version? Man, I I listened to it actually, but like years ago. Um so I remember hearing portions of the original 1938 broadcast. It's pretty good. It's not a bad radio drama. Frankly, for those of you who are like, what's a radio drama? It's a podcast. <laughs> it is essentially, right, a just an audio play. Scripted. Scripted, podcast. totally. So it is Halloween, 1938. People love these radio dramas. They love gathering around the radio, sitting together and listening, and especially creepy ones and sci-fi mm-hmm. ones are all the rage already. And just for perspective, 1938, of course, is right before the beginning stirrings of World War II. We are still in the midst of the Great Depression, is is still heavy on a lot of people. Um, FDR is president and trying to get us out of that with the New Deal and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and, and Hitler has not invaded Poland yet, but he's a rising star over there. So folks are gathering around the radio, and it starts with, this disclaimer that is like, hey, everybody, we're about to do a very spooky story called War of the Worlds, which is based on a Victorian novel about aliens invading. Uh, enjoy. And then it starts like 
a radio broadcast, right? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilma's garden. What anything means. Wait a minute, something's happening. Humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from that mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. So you're hearing this, like, audio chaos of what it would sound like, really, though, if a journalist was standing in the thing. And, of course, some people tune in late. <laughs> some people do- heard the disclaimer but quickly forget it when they are prompted to believe that aliens have actually landed on the White House lawn. Now, some historical sources will tell you that they overblow what happened on the night of the War of the Worlds broadcast. And they'll be like, basically, the whole country burned to the ground in one night. And it was riots, and it was chaos, and it was murder. And that's a huge over-exaggeration. It was actually not that bad. Because people thought it was real. But people did believe it was real. What is notable is just how many people felt real motivating fear the fear that motivated them to hide, to get a weapon, to run to their neighbor's house and warn them. <laughs> the police sirens were going off everywhere. And ultimately, the police had to come to the radio station and demand that they stop it and shut it down because it was causing too many problems. <laughs> Laney. I mean, crazy, right? So several things happen after this War of the Worlds broadcast kerfuffle. One is both we, the United States, and our enemies became suddenly aware of how gullible the general public was and mm-hmm. how dangerous that gullibility could suddenly become. To this day. <laughs> and to this day. And Adolf motherfucking Hitler, in a speech in Berlin, references how fucking dumb we were. Can you believe that they <laughs> they bought? They're so dumb. They believe this War of the Worlds radio drama was real. And they went crazy and pointed out that this is the problem with democracy. This is the problem when you like let the people decide. The people are a bunch of fucking morons and the people can be led anywhere you want. And that's why you need strong leaders. But, but, I mean, it was like used as propaganda. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet you can't really call people who went nuts after hearing this thing crazy because like shit's calling nuts. In 1938, like the skies. (laughs) It's it's not so far fetched to believe that with everything else that's going on. Oh, and really, Adolf, you're not familiar with the concept (laughs) of invasion, you cunt, because you're about to go on up and invade. And and World War Two, as we know, like World War One, invading from the air. Airplanes are new and these bombs Mm -hmm. are new and all this shit. Like people had reason to be paranoid and they may not have known how specific they were. So this was Halloween 1938. On January of 1939 at the Carnegie Institute... Two German-born scientists announced to this group of fellow scientists that they have successfully split the atom. Mm-hmm. And it is so fucking scary that it's reported that several of the physicists present in the room when they heard it fucking ran. Just got Ooh. up and ran out of the room. We're like, oh, we're, that's it. Like, if they're telling the truth, oh, like, we gotta go, right? Yep. So... You know, I mean, this part of history, I feel like even if you're not a history nerd, (laughs) most people know that the first atomic bomb was developed by the United States in a top secret project called the Manhattan Project. One of the guys in that room at that Carnegie Institute little scientist cluster, when we found out we split the uh, atom, is a guy named Vannevar Bush, no relation to the presidential Bushes, is put in charge then by FDR of the science and research for weapons 
during World War II. And it's no surprise that he was like, well, boy, I have a doozy for you. <laughs> we just split the atom and this thing's really going to fuck the world up. You guys buckle up. This is going to be exciting, right? Mm-hmm. So the Manhattan Project, they developed the bomb and they drop. And this is what's so nuts. Lainey, I had, in the researching this subject, I was reminded of the timeline for the world in the months leading up to dropping these first two bombs. And it's it's stunning. So FDR, you know, is the only president that had four terms, right? He's reelected mm-hmm. for his fourth term um, in November of 1944. And he's an old man. He's already in a wheelchair. And people are kind of like, oh, but he's in his 60s, which <laughs> seems very young, of course, to us now. Um, yeah. And he wins reelection with his vice president, Truman. And Truman was sort of a really I mean, it was like a last minute, like, Truman, sure. Yeah. I mean, you're old and we we don't know what's going to happen, but like Truman, huh? And he was a compromise. Nobody could really Mm. agree on the other guy. So he's elected in November of 1944. He's inaugurated again in January of 1945. And he fucking dies in April of 1945. I forgot that. Right? Now, World War II is already winding (laughs) down, but it ain't over yet. Okay? So our boy Truman, who, you know, the vice president, like I said, not anybody's kind of first choice comes into the job and this is when he's told hey um welcome to being president super quick we just want to let you know that we have two atomic bombs fucking ready to go whenever you say the word and he's like oh what he did not know anything <laughs> of course about the manhattan it was that top secret right but when i say he didn't know anything about it and how crazy that is laney uh, yeah he's the vice president he was also in charge of the budget. Like, he was one of the people who oversaw the entire <laughs> federal budget. And this motherfucking thing cost $28 billion. So what did they just file that under? Pencils? Like, yeah. what did he think oh, he was paying Oh, it's amazing. For? I mean, that's part of the deal with this whole deal. What the fuck? Where did all that money come from? And where did all that money go? Truman is on his goddamn heels. Okay, I'm president now. You're telling me I have the capacity to kill and, and end this war, to kill hundreds of thousands of people and end this war. With a weapon I learned about today for a job I've had for four months. Oh, my God. Right. And as you know, Buddy drops it in August. So Mm -hmm. he's inaugurated in April and he drops these fucking things. August 6th and 9th. Tens of thousands of Japanese die instantly. Upwards of 200,000 die over the course of the next couple of weeks over radiation poisoning. The math is, ah, but it saved millions of lives and war and whatever. The war's fucking over. Everybody's does the, the post-war high fives. Um, <laughs> and some people really, uh, and frankly, a lot of the people who built these bombs, what they really believed would happen next is peace. They're like, okay, great, great. So world peace is what follows this, man, because everyone will look around and go, wow. Okay, so we're not going to ever cause any problems for anyone ever again. Not with these weapons. We wouldn't risk killing like that again. I mean, it was such a strange, fervent belief. They Because they were like, okay, great, now we dismantle all this shit and we all go back to our civilian lives. <laughs> and the world and the mm. government was like, ooh, girl, no. <laughs> and among the reasons why is because after Germany had surrendered... The Russians and the United States scrambled like a game of hungry, hungry hippo to get the best scientists and the best physicists and whoever was working with the Third Reich 
to develop their fantastically advanced weapons and whatever they were working on in the future. The United Mm -hmm. States got a bunch of these fucking Nazi Third Reich doctors, and the Russians got a bunch of these fucking Nazi Third Reich physicists. We called ours the paperclip scientists, and Mm -hmm. we we knew the Russians had some, and we figured they're probably fucking doing the same motherfucking thing. But we're technically not at war. And all that $28 billion that we got for the Manhattan Project and all this great shit was happening because we were at open war. Now, right. how do we keep the money flowing and how do we keep being able to develop these weapons when there's not technically a war? And this is where the necessity for Area 51 comes into clear focus and we get the authorization to build it. I was thinking about the Manhattan Project earlier when you were talking about how it's like in the desert and it's top secret. And I was like, oh, yeah, just like the Manhattan Project. But I had no idea how closely related they were. Yeah. And how now I'm like, oh, well, so it's probably just they're making weapons in Area 51 is what it sounds like. And that's really where it starts to break your heart, right? You're like, oh, so it's weapons. It's weapons. It's weapons and it's airplanes and it's cameras. But yeah. That is largely yeah, but all, I, all technology that's going to make us be able to kill a lot more people a lot faster, which is one of the reasons why the alien shadow over Area 51, I think, really helps them like from yeah. like a branding standpoint. I think that the people who work out at Area 51 are largely just like mechanics on these sort of <laughs> secret machines, you know, that these secret yeah. machines that can do like boss kick ass shit that they'll never, they, you know. And and it's more interesting for their friends and family to think that they're <laughs> square square <laughs> dancing they can't talk with about ET. it anyways. They <laughs> yeah. may as well yeah. be like, I can't talk about what I do out there. Be like, and I don't want to because all I do is like eat canned corn and get sunburn. But if you right. think that I'm, you know, getting jerked off by ETs, then that's be- that's better. That's more interesting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna take a, a brief break, and we will be right back. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Join host Dave Houghton and Sarah Ray Pallet as they examine the less glamorous side of sports with their podcast, In a Pickle. Follow IAP Radio on social media by going to iapradio.com. In a Pickle is now part of the Den Network. For more information, go to iapradio.com. Hey, you. Um, you know, I- I've been hosting Hilf for about a year and a half now, and uh, I'm sunk. <sighs> I mean, I'm in deep. I, I love it. And I love you, and I'd love to take this to the next level and, and, and ask you if you... Oh, I'm so nervous. Um, if you might be willing to make a commitment. I know, I know, we were just fucking, and we said we'd never get serious, but, like, I have a bookshelf full of fuckable subjects here, and I realized I'm in deep. But like any professional fucker... I'm not asking for marriage, okay? Just for you to pay for some of my stuff. (laughs) Hilf 
is now on Patreon. Yay! And if you don't know how it works, the idea is that artists and creatives set up a profile where you can support us financially in various ways and for various benefits. <laughs> benefits? Mm, you heard me. <laughs> From exclusive bonus material to a shout out on the pod, you can even have a short personalized hilf just for you. Like, want to hear three minutes about what happened on your birthday or anniversary? Oh, give me that chance. <laughs> Find us on Patreon or follow the link in the show notes. And if you can't help us out financially, but you still want to give our heart a little goose, please leave us a review wherever you listen. And of course. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. you as a history student did you like history class when you took it in high school I do like history I'm I will say I'm horrible with dates like mm. I can do general timeliney stuff but like like chronologically what came before what but um real bad with dates and mm. uh my favorite way to learn about history though is like through entertainment so like your podcast is right up my alley and then of yeah. course like any historical drama you know and of course there are discrepancies and all of that kind of stuff uh, but you then it forces me to go Google things and find out what was true and what wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I also, I don't mind historical fiction. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if it right. gets your gears kind of curious and, and tuned in to what was going on, I also don't think that people are actually that confused about what is fiction and what isn't. You know, right. I think people know generally like oh this is set in a certain time frame but I'm not going to conflate that these events actually happened I think where we get into trouble is when people try to be like I've seen Braveheart and I know everything about Scottish history and you're like oh yeah 100 percent that movie implies that he impregnated the Queen of France and yeah. that is actually a huge deal <laughs> it's a huge historical implication that didn't happen yeah I also like alternate histories though too because like obviously you know what happened and then like like for all mankind and alternate history and oh I love that stuff I love like inglorious bastards yes yeah 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 love it but you have to Absolutely. know what actually happened first to really enjoy it <laughs> totally well and it's also a reminder frankly that just because you read history in a book and didn't see it in a movie does not mean that the history was more accurate just because it was in a book right like all of the inventions and biases and motivations to stretch or bend or completely alter the truth have been present in human representation of history forever. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? We didn't just start fucking with it when we showed. Because so, sometimes people, you know, have a book, even an old, but then they're like, oh, yeah, no, you're right. But an old book, you know, this <laughs> right. book was written in 1750. Like, oh, yeah, I'm sure all the people who knew each other had no motivation to lie about the shit that was <laughs> happening. It's just like that old saying, like, history is written by the victor. You know, it's, it's always a skewed perspective. Absolutely correct. And that is one of the things that makes Area 51 so fun and so complicated, right? Because whenever you're investigating a subject that has built into its existence a purposeful secrecy, mm -hmm. which, is, which is a lot of things, which is um, in lines like people have run into this problem long before things like aliens or government conspiracy with things like royal lines, who impregnated who? Who right. was sleeping with who? Who made what alliance with whom? And so um, being able to sort of cover up and alter or tr or just like whatever we do with this, we need to make it difficult to access and incredibly vague, even if you do. Even if you are able to right. access these records, you can't even interpret it. It's, you know, so fucking cool. <laughs>
the stuff I'm about to tell you about in part two, I would read this book, this Area 51 book, and I would stand up with my, you know, my glasses and I'd, and I'd walk in a circle going, oh my God, <laughs> really? I mean, it, it was like no romance novel has ever gotten me to just hit the pillow next to me and just what? And a literal page turner, <laughs> like licking, like, lick, oh my God. And like, can't read fast enough. I could, cannot encourage you to find this book more because I'm going to skim the surface. I cannot tell you in depth everything you learned from this Area 51 book. It's too much, but I am going to start part two with another story. <laughs> this is the story of the Roswell incident. Are you familiar with the incident at Roswell? Yes, this happened in like the 80s in New Mexico, right? Yeah. It was like You're close. An it was 19. Oh, okay. Interesting. Tell me what else what else you've heard. I have like the worst recall, but <laughs> It's okay. A lot of um, these stories run together too, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I I can't remember if this was the first abduction sighting or just the first or abduction story or the first uh, UFO sighting of like a civilian. Okay, sure. Well, you're you're close. Certainly that's the framing around it. There was what was called like a boom, a UFO rave. Like it was the it was the <laughs> first like holy shit you guys, everybody's believing in UFOs started in 1947. Which is earlier than you think, yeah. So that's just a couple years after we dropped the bomb. A couple years after the war, we're in peacetime. The Cold War is brewing, but it's sort Mm -hmm. of like suspicion. Like, seems like maybe we're not going to be on great terms with our former allies, but who knows? Maybe it'll be fine. (laughs) And it starts um, uh, with this pilot, a commercial pilot named Kenneth Arnold. He says, I'm flying my plane, buddy. I saw a flying disc. A silver mm-hmm. reflective flying disc out the window. I was like, that's kind of crazy. Then a whole commercial airline full of passengers and crew. Like four, six months later, look out the window. We, we all saw these flying discs in a row. And the interesting thing about Roswell and what happens next is that it is often conflated with Area 51, even though Roswell, New Mexico is almost 900 miles away from Area mm-hmm. 51. And of course, the entire state of Arizona <laughs> is between them, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but their connection is valid. And the reason why we conflate them makes sense. It's June 1947, okay? Again, two years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and this old rancher named W.W. Mac Brazel, everybody calls him Mac, is walking <laughs> down his ranch, and he finds a bunch of debris, Laney, just like shit lying around, like something happened here. And he says it's like rubber and, and uh, tin foil and wood, and he's not really sure what it is. And so he just kind of pushes it under a brush, like moves it out of the way so it doesn't like get stepped on by his cattle or whatever. Okay. And he, there's no radio, there's no telephone out there in this ranch. Again, it's 1947, but Mac Mac likes a weekend, okay? And on <laughs> Saturday, Mac heads to town and he's sitting in the bar, girl, and he can't help but overhear all of these fucks talking about the flying saucers everybody's seeing. Did you hear about the pilot who saw the flying saucers? And everyone's saying they're flying saucers. And Mac thinks to himself, well, fu- I wonder... If that was that shit that I found out of my ranch. So his <laughs> daughter and his wife and him, they go out there and they collect a bunch of it. They put, a, they go out there, they grab whatever they can find, they put it in boxes. And yeah, something looks kind of weird. You know, there's weird stuff. He doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. He calls the local sheriff who calls the local airfield 
agency. It's like technically this is before the Air Force, but sort of the precursor to like the local Air Force base, right? Uh-huh. They come down there and they do a deep scour of all around. They pick up, right, all this stuff. The sheriffs are where they gather all it. And they do a deeper, wider swath of land to find what they can. One of these guys, Major Jesse Marcel, (laughs) fucking takes a box home, wakes up his 10-year-old son, and is like, look at all this cool shit. I'm waking up because I think you should see this alien shit that we found out in the desert. And, right, oh my God. And then the Army Air Force base that has found all this stuff makes a press release. Uh, public and says, hey, hey, y'all, the Air Force uh, are based down here. We have debris from a flying saucer. And then okay. very quickly, national intelligence comes down fast over there to Roswell. They withdraw that press release. They say, no, 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 no. Everyone was obviously mistaken. It was a weather balloon. And they mm-hmm. get, I think it was even our buddy old Jesse Marcel who brought the box home to his son. They have him with a picture with like an obvious big piece of like foil <laughs> weather balloon looking <laughs> stuff. And they're like, so there it is. That's what it was. Bye bye, everybody. And now <laughs> since then, I mean, this is why I wanted to say, what do you remember about the Roswell incident? Because, yeah, people who have heard about this sense, it gets pieces of it get connected to other stories. Certain suspicions mm-hmm. that you have about various things kind of come together. But the, the basically the three theories about what happened at Roswell are this. That what crashed, what happened on this guy's ranch, what landed there, crashed there, whatever it was, is an alien spacecraft. It had aliens in it. And that spacecraft and those aliens are the very ones that our buddy Bob Lazar says he saw over there in Area 51. Theory two is that this is a U.S. test plane of some kind, some kind of really Mm -hmm. hyper, very secret, very new thing that we developed and accidentally crashed there. And so we had to do all of this stuff to kind of cover it up. Or three, that this is a foreign earthly (laughs) aircraft, right, spying on us and infiltrating our airspace. And that's why they were so intent on covering it up Mm -hmm. to, like, keep everybody calm. And now, Lainey, ooh, 76 years later, in part because of these cunts got declassified and also because of things like this Annie's book, we now know that that flying disc that was picked up in Roswell off of the ranch was absolutely a piece of Russian spycraft. And part of the reason why we know That was going to be my it, guess. Yeah. Part of the reason why we know that is because there was Russian writing found like words from the Russian alphabet were like stamped or like imprinted on this small thing that is like in a ring Mm -hmm. around the inside and that was not revealed until like 2011 wow so when this comes out of course you and me and a lot of other people who really like believing in (laughs) aliens and UFOs (laughs) are like that's it I mean I don't need any (laughs) more you know what I mean it's obvious what's going on on the other hand, we've got our paperclip scientists, right? So as soon as this happens and they get the saucer, they get all the stuff together, some of our paperclip scientists, those asshole Third Reich Nazi fucks that we hired to build our shit, are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've seen that before. That That uh, is the work of the Horton brothers. <laughs> so <laughs> we're like, the who? They're like, oh, yeah, Walter and Reimer. They were working with Hitler and they were engineering a number of very interesting things. Most of it was designed uh, with speed 
in mind. And yeah, they mm-hmm. had they had developed one thing that was basically had no tail. It was shaped like a wing, like one like a boomerang sort of style. And the pilot would mm-hmm. actually lay on their belly in the middle, which looks like a lot of flying saucers. And then there was like, and then the other one was okay. a disc, a total saucer. And they were like, yeah, yeah. We've totally seen designs like this before. At which point, of course, the U- U.S. military is like, the who, the fuck, the Horton, what, fuck. You know, we really thought we got all the guys that we knew of, we, and we thought we knew all the guys they had. So this means that there were scientists that we don't even know about, that we're fucking working on shit we don't even know about, and maybe they're dead, maybe they're somewhere in Germany. We don't know if the Russians have them or if the Russians just have the plants, but shit, shit, shit. So immediately, of course, phase two is like, we got to find these guys. We got to find out Mm -hmm. if they're alive, who they're working for, what they did, who knows what. And of course, in hot, sexy FBI, CIA, yas, yas, yas. I'm sure it was (laughs) great, you know, intrigue. They go find their relatives. They go to their childhood homes. They start talking to their colleagues. I'm sure they, I hope and I'm sure there was some seduction. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody got a blowjob to find out where the Hortons are. You do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. I mean, some we all have to serve our country, <laughs> however, <laughs> however is necessary. And they get as many different stories as people to interview. You know, some be like, "Oh yeah, the Horton brothers totally dead," and some be like, "Oh yes, the Hor- <laughs> oh the Horton brothers sure they went to France, they went to America, they're together, they're totally apart, they're working for the you know." And there's no consistency, and they're just like, "Fuck." Then they meet this guy named Ziegler, mm-hmm. who says, yeah, yeah, I know where the Horton brothers are. And listen to this story, Laney. He goes, so during the war, I worked with the Horton brothers at BMW. And BMW was a cover during the war for using military jet propulsion testing and technology. They just, right, ah, oh, we're just making okay. cars over here kind of deal. And, uh, and he says that after the war, and Russia has it kind of taken over this area, that the Russian military, these like high-ranking Russian military guys, came down to the BMW plant and got 400 of the best engineers working for BMW and were like, ah, das Vidanya, you guys, listen. <laughs> um, you've been doing a bang-up job, and we want to throw a party. Party. We're going to wine you and dine you. How do you like that? And they were like, amazing, right? And they're like, bring your families. Let's do this. <laughs> and believe it or not, they throw them a great party. And they wine them and dine them. Fucking great party. So great, in fact, everyone gets too drunk. And at the end of the night, they go home. And a couple of hours later, the Russian military turns up again at their houses with them all fucking disoriented and hungover or whatever. It says, you're all getting on this train. We want you to bring everything you can carry, all of your family, your livestock, whatever you want to bring with you. And they have since then been in a mostly imprisoned state, forced to work on the scientific projects of the Russian military out in some remote place outside of Moscow. So this guy, mm. Ziegler's like, that might be where they are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just maybe. Maybe. So now... The U.S. military has lots of reasons 
to go forward with whatever it is they had planned in Area 51. Between Roswell and now knowing that this thing infiltrated our airspace, flies in ways that we completely do not understand. We don't even know exactly what it was trying to do, but we know it's Russian. Then knowing that they have these other scientists that are developing things that we don't understand. And now we know that they also have a base, a secret base somewhere that they're developing this stuff. It wasn't like we needed a ton more reason to build a place like Area 51. But now there we are. And the powers that be, including this Vannevar Bush, yes, (laughs) Smokey, um, now President Eisenhower at this point is like, okay, you guys know what we need to do, I think. I'm going to have you do it. (laughs) And they're like, okay, here's what we need. Okay, okay, here's what we need. To have the perfect place, the most ideal place, this place needs to be secret, obviously. It needs to be remote (laughs) from cities, clearly. It needs to be away from coastlines, definitely. And it needs to be big as fuck. Okay. (laughs) So they start looking around. And, And this place that is now Area 51 was so perfect so ideal because it is already part of a top secret place the u.s already u.s military already owned a place where we were already testing all of our dopest nuclear weapons right and it has in the middle of it this groom's lake it's called which is a dried out lake bed that is flat and it's hard as fuck and you can totally land all of your planes Mm -hmm. out there i mean it is so perfect that the code name for it before Area 51 is Paradise Ranch. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just so nice. The name, though, ultimately of Area 51 came because those that, that government-owned part mm-hmm. is on a numbered grid. But you, you would think then, oh, oh, I get it, Area 1, 2, 3, so it's Area 51. But mm-hmm. Area 51 is not between Area 50 and Area 52. There are not other Area 50s. <laughs> Oh. It's Area 51 is actually outside the grid, but it sort of touches the edge of Area 15. So they just flipped it? Yeah. So the idea is it's like a mirror image, like the upside down in oh. Stranger Things. Just as scary, probably. Absolutely. Totally bizarre. But that is where we get the name Area 51. Now... My good friend, we have gotten area. We got the place. It's called Area 51. We know how we got there. We know why we built it. And when we come back, we are going to talk about all of the terrible, ugly, beautiful babies that they cook up out there in their (laughs) freaky deaky (laughs) little base. Um, In particular, one that's called the U2. Oh, like the Mm. band. Yeah. Because they still... Haven't found <laughs> what they're looking <laughs> Oh, thanks again to Lainey Payhouse, but not goodbye. No, no, not yet. Listen, when Area 51 declassified their records, it was a dump. All right, it uncovered weapons, people, and stories that even those with top secret security clearance had been completely unaware of. 
All right, our next episode is the conclusion of the hilfing of Area 51 when I tell the story of another drunken night out among a bunch of nuclear scientists. But this one has a very different ending. In the meantime, our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins. And a reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. This has been Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party. And everybody's coming. <laughs>